This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Wabihi Nasta'in, Wa Nusalli Wa Nusallim, Wa Ala Afdalil Khalqi Ajma'in, Nabiyyina Muhammadin Wa Ala Alihi Wa Sahbihi Wa Tabi'in, Wa Man Tabi'ahum Bi Ihsanin Ila Yawmiddin. We praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we send blessings and salutations upon Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and all his companions. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless them all, and may he bless all those who have struggled and strived from the beginning, in a way that the deen has come to us, and may he bless us and make us from amongst those who can learn, put into practice and convey the message in a way that our children can also be upon the deen and our progenies to come. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all steadfastness and grant us all acceptance. Amin. Beloved brothers and sisters in Islam, as you have heard, we have already completed the recitation of more than half of the Qur'an. Just yesterday we were starting and I remember making mention of the fact that before you know it, the month will come to an end. Believe me, it is now the second half of this month of Ramadan in terms of recitation of the Qur'an. And there are a few days left in which we need to make use of the spirituality and the value of this month of Ramadan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not make us lazy and may He make us from amongst those whom when Ramadan finishes at least we will be able to say that Alhamdulillah I did not waste my time this month of Ramadan and inshallah every month of Ramadan that we may get to see thereafter may Allah make it even better than the previous one. Amin. We look at a very very important incident that occurred to one of the Sahaba of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam by the name of Salman al-Farisi. And I'm starting this story because some people had asked me about it and we had made mention of Abdullah ibn Salam and how he accepted Islam. And it's important for us to speak about another companion, a great companion of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam who was of Persian origin and he accepted Islam. What was his journey? Many lessons to be learnt. Salman al-Farisi was from Persia. His father used to worship the fire and he was one of those who was the chiefs of his people. He was a leader and he used to be responsible to ensure that the fire was not turned off or did not go off at all. So Salman al-Farisi as a young boy, his father used to tell him sometimes to go and check that the fire doesn't go off. So he used to go and come and his father loved him a lot. They used to worship the fire, never did his father allow him to go out and so on. So one day when his father told him, look you know, go and check the fire and ensure that it is not turned off, make sure that it stays and so on. Imagine they worship the fire and they themselves have to make sure that it's lit. Allahu Akbar. Allah safeguard us and protect us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding that He alone is deserving of all acts of worship. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So on his way back, he passed by a monastery, a little place where the priests were. And he decided to go and see what they're doing in the church. So as he went in as a young boy, he watched them, he listened, he witnessed and so on. And he told himself, this is a better religion than my religion. My religion, I'm worshipping the fire. At least these people are worshipping a God, subhanallah. And they have better teachings. And he was right. Christianity, definitely far better religion than worshipping the fire. And at that time, it was the religion because it was the time just after Isa alayhi salatu wasalam, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasalam had not yet come. So he decided to listen. When he went back home, he was late. His father asked him, what happened? So he tells his father exactly what happened as a young boy. Look, I think there is a religion better than our religion. And I think that these people have much more sense and they make a lot of sense. We are worshipping the fire, it goes off, we keep it on and so on. His father was very upset, very angry, being one of the leaders. So he shackled him and he kept him indoors and he ensured that this child does not interact with the outside world. And it so happened that this increased the love that Salman al-Farisi had for religion and for the search of the truth. 
and within himself he said, I am a Christian. I am a person who follows what I saw that evening. And thereafter, he sent message to some of the priests who used to travel up to Asham, you know, the region that includes Jerusalem and Syria and all these places. He sent a message to them saying that whenever there is a caravan going, take me with. You can kidnap me or you can just come and release me and take me with. And he let that message get to them. When they were leaving, caravan was leaving after some time, they picked him up and they took him with. And they took him all the way to Asham where he stayed. And he was very happy, he learned the religion. Imagine he was the son of a very, very influential person, one of the leaders. It did not deter him. So he went and he worshipped and he noticed that this priest is actually robbing and stealing the charities of the people and eating the wealth of the people. But he kept quiet. He was learning and later on the priest died. When he died, Salman got up and told some of the people, look, this person, he was actually a traitor, he was cheating, he was stealing your wealth and I want to show you where he used to hide it. And when he took them and showed them, they, they then crucified this priest of theirs. And they decided this man was a very bad man, we don't want to give him a proper burial. And they, they were actually very, very upset. And thereafter they appointed a very, very good, pious man as their leader. And he was indeed a very good priest and he taught Christianity. Salman al-Farisi learned a lot when he died, another one came. In fact, when he died, Salman al-Farisi went to him and told him, you were such a good man. And you know, I learned so much from you. And you are on such a level of piety. After you die, who should I go to? So he was shown, go to such and such a person. And then the other one died and he was shown to go to another one and so on. And in this way, he was then told by one of the priests that, look, you as a young boy, if you are given life, you will see the prophet who is coming. And he is going to come in an area that is between the two deserts, the two rocky deserts, which has date palms. And he described Medina Munawwara. So Salman was a young boy, he had hardly anything because obviously he'd given up his home, he'd given up everything, and he was here learning the religion and following Christianity. It so happened that he sent a message to some of the Arabs that if you are going into the Arabian Peninsula, please take me with. And uh, then they surely took him with and he gave them whatever little he had for the transport. But sadly, when they got to the middle of the desert, they changed their tune, they decided to enslave this man and they enslaved Salman al-Farisi took him captive and sold him to some people. So who purchased him? A Jewish man purchased him and gave him as a gift to his nephew. And this is all the plan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imagine a free man being enslaved. And this was the pagan Arab time when they used to enslave anyone who was weak and who didn't have family or clan to protect him or her. They used to enslave them. So when they enslaved this man and sold him to the Jewish man, who then gave him to his nephew, the nephew was from a place known as Yathrib. Yathrib was Medina Munawwara, subhanallah. Now Salman al-Farisi comes, and Salman al-Farisi came to al-Madin al-Munawwara, and he was enslaved, working in the garden and working in the orchard and so on, and he had his master who was a Jewish man. Now, the last priest who met Salman al-Farisi told him that the messenger who is going to come, he has many signs. From amongst them, he will not eat a charity. If you give him a charity, he won't eat from it. And if you give him a gift, he will eat from it. And if you notice on his back, he will have a mark, a seal of prophethood. That is the sign, it's slightly bigger than a pea, and it is at the back on his back just below that shoulder blade or just nearby there. So Salman al-Farisi, he had heard this and subhanallah, he was waiting and at the same time, one day, as he was busy working, he heard his master being told by another man who was also Jewish, that do you know that these people of Medina, they have now met up with someone whom they are calling a prophet and he is going to come here to Medina Munawwara and at the moment he is in Quba and he is coming to Medina. So Salman dropped whatever he was doing and he was in awe. And what did he ask? What did you say? There is a prophet who is coming here? Subhanallah. 
They told him, you carry on with what you're doing. Who told you to ask questions here? No questions asked. You are a slave. Carry on doing what you have to. And so he continued. But when the Prophet ﷺ came, Salman al-Farisi, in his little time that he had had, he went and he started checking. He looked. He saw. He asked questions and so on. And he gave a gift. He gave a charity. In fact, he gave something to Rasulullah ﷺ. And he said, this is a charity for you. The Prophet ﷺ did not eat from it. He didn't eat from it. And then he came back and said, wait, hang on. I gave you something and I said by mistake that it's a charity. It wasn't a charity. It's just a gift. Then he ate from it. So this, he, he told himself, these are two signs. Did not eat the charity. And he ate the gift, from the gift. Then one day it is reported that he noticed when the Prophet ﷺ was uh, assisting in some carrying a janazah or something of that nature, and he noticed on his back, subhanallah, that yes, there is a seal of prophethood here, exactly as described. And this is when Salman al-Farisi declared aloud that I bear witness that there is none worthy of worship but Allah and that you are the messenger whom we are all waiting for. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding. So this was Salman al-Farisi. Look at his journey and look at what had happened. One more issue. He was still a slave. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa told him, Ya Salman, why don't you buy yourself, buy your freedom? So there was a certain amount the Jewish man had asked for. One narration of the historians make mention, makes mention of the fact that he said, I would like 300 date palms. So you need to sow those for me and make sure that they grow. It was very difficult at that time because they would plant and when it grows, a lot of them would die because of adverse weather conditions and so on. So what happened? The Prophet ﷺ told him, O Salman, the little amount that you have, of gold, you can sell it and you will get a certain amount of silver that this man is asking for. And if you were to dig these uh, little holes so that we can come in and we will plant, I will plant these for you, I will put the seeds myself. And Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam came through according to one narration and he put all those seeds, not a single one of them died. All 300 had grown. Salman al-Farisi was a free man. And this is the man, the same man whom during the battle of the trench, it was his view to actually dig the trench around parts of Medina Munawwara to protect it from the enemy as they used to do in Persia. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us goodness and grant us understanding. Now we get to Medina Munawwara and the condition of the people. There were in Medina Munawwara several categories of people when Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa had come in. We made mention of the building of the masjid and the little piece of land that he had purchased from the two orphans of Bani Najjar. And thereafter he had immediately studied the people in Medina Munawwara and he found the following. They were the believers who came from Makkah al-Mukarramah. And these believers who came from Makkah to Mukarrama, they were known as Al-Muhajirin. They were removed from their homes. They, their property was stolen in most cases by the people of Quraysh. Their homes were also stolen, usurped, and so on. And they were all truthful people. There were no hypocrites from amongst the Muhajirin. And one of the reasons was that a lot of sacrifice was required in order to be a Muslim in Makkah. So it was difficult for a one who wanted to be a Muslim, to be a Muslim, but it was not difficult for he, who did not want to be Muslim, to remain as a non-Muslim. So it was only those with sincere hearts, whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says were the muhajireen. And this is why in the Quran Allah praises them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لِلْفُقَرَاءِ الْمُهَاجِرِينَ الَّذِينَ أُخْرِجُوا مِنْ دِيَارِهِمْ وَأَمْوَالِهِمْ يَبْتَغُونَ فَضْلًا مِنَ اللَّهِ يَبْتَغُونَ فَضْلًا مِنَ اللَّهِ وَرِضْوَانًا وَيَنْصُرُونَ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ Allah says, as for those who made hijrah, the poor people who had made hijrah, the muhajireen, those who have been driven out of their homes and their wealth was usurped and they had made hijrah for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah says, they are the truthful. They are the ones who are the truthful. You won't find a hypocrite from amongst them. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us goodness and may He make us truthful as well. 
And thereafter the next category of people from amongst the Muslims were the Ansar. The Ansar were the people of Medina Munawwara who opened their arms and who opened their homes and who opened whatever they had had in terms of welcome to welcome these people who had come to welcome the messenger and to offer protection of the highest degree in the same way they protected themselves and their family members. This was the second category of people. The third category of people were those who were mushriks and they had still not accepted Islam. They remained on the religion of their forefathers from amongst the Arabs. And these were some of the people of Medina Munawwara and they were also there. The next category of people were the Jewish clans mainly made up of three of them. Banu Qaynuqa', Banu Nadir, and Banu Quraida. As for Banu Qaynuqa', they were within Medina Munawwara. And the other two, Banu Nadir and Banu Quraida, they were on the outskirts of Medina Munawwara. And these people were people of the book. They were very, very intelligent people. They, subhanallah, Banu Qaynuqa' and Banu Nadir, they had treaties with Khazraj, treaties of protection with Khazraj. And as for Banu Quraida, they had a treaty with Al-Aws. So if anyone attacks us, you know, you will come and we will protect each other together and so on. That's the type of a treaty that they had had. And the Jewish people were the business people of the area. They are the ones who controlled the buying and selling of the dates and so on. They were very, very intelligent. They dealt in interest. They were the ones who... Uh, controlled the alcoholic market, the market of beer and alcohol and wines and so on. These people, although they were not so many in number, they were controlling the marketplace, subhanallah. And it is reported that one of the ways of controlling was to give the leaders loans which were returnable with a great amount of interest. So they were always indebted to them. So they had wealth, they would give it, they did not charge interest amongst themselves, never. But they would charge it to others in order to make them indebted, especially the leaders. So once the leader of a nation or a group is indebted to people whom he owes double, triple, quadruple, he will be enslaved forever and ever. If you take a look at the economic laws of the globe today as well, it operates more or less on similar lines. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never enslave us economically. So this was what was going on at that particular time. When Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came, he had to deal with these crises as soon as possible. Because on one hand, the kuffar of Quraysh, they were still gobsmacked. They did not know what struck them. They had an idea, but they still did not digest fully what exactly occurred. Although there was a lot of talking and bubbling, subhanallah. So in the meantime, the first thing done by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was something known as al-mu'akhah, bayn al-muhajirina wal-ansar. He created a brotherhood and a link between the families of the muhajirin and the families of the ansar. What this meant is, every household from amongst the people of Medina had to take in a household from amongst the people of Mecca. And they had to treat them as real brothers, subhanallah, as family members and even more. And we will come to see some of what was dictated by Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So what had happened, a miracle happened. Because there would have been a great refugee crisis if this did not take place. But divine revelation, the instruction of the messenger, he says, look, we don't want to fight. You cannot choose who is going to go into your home. We will pick it up. And we will draw, as we said the other day, lot, the names were drawn, and the next person in line would take that particular family and continue. What were they to share? Number one, their wealth was to be shared half-half. Whatever you have, give half, and you will keep half. Subhanallah. Another thing, inheritance. If anyone had died from amongst them, this one from Mecca would inherit the one from Medina, as though he was one of the family members, subhanallah. So it was something amazing. So the Ansar, they told Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that look, we love what has happened. So much so, that we are people who are farmers, and we've got lots of what is known as nakhil, the date palms. So why don't you share even our little farms that we have, half-half between us and the muhajirin? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, no. Not that. Subhanallah. One wonders why. But let's listen to what he said. He then said, 
meaning the, the Ansar then made a second offer. And they said, okay, let them help us when it comes to the labor and the looking after it and so on. And we will share the prophets half-half. Then he agreed and he said, yes, that is fine. Subhanallah. So why didn't he agree that the farms went half-half? Because the Ansar were farmers, they knew a lot about how to farm, but the Muhajirin knew nothing about farming. So if they had to take the farms, there would be no production, and the produce would be low. So rather than that, keep it in the hands of the experts, subhanallah. But strike the deal where? Half-half. This is the solution of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The Prophet was to be shared half-half, but on the ground, the expert were the Ansar, and the helpers who came to assist were the muhajirin, subhanallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us a lesson from this. It is a powerful solution that did not spoil the economy of the Muslims of Medina Munawwara. Not at all. And the Ansar were not affected by it, nor were the muhajirin and anyone else. This was the solution of Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We need to make mention some of the companions and whom they were paired up with as brothers. Very important for us to know some of them at least. So one of the most important people, Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, he was paired up with a man from amongst the Ansar known as Kharijah ibn Zuhair radiallahu anhu. So that was his brother and it was, he was known as Akhihi, a brother of his being fostered, being made a brother because of hijrah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the love for one another. And then Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, he was made a brother of Itban ibn Malik radiallahu anhu from amongst the Ansar. Abu Ubaid Amir ibn al-Jarrah was made a brother of Sa'd ibn Mu'adh. And remember, they couldn't choose who they wanted to be with. It was just their luck. And this was the choice made by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for them. Zubair ibn al-Awwam, radiyallahu anhu, was, was with Salamah ibn Salama radiyallahu anhu, who was a member of the Ansar. As for Talha ibn Ubaidillah, he was with Ka'b ibn Malik. Ka'b ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu, we will get to hear more about him when we get to the battle of Tabuk, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us a lesson. These were all the uh, helpers of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Sa'id ibn Zayd was with one of the reciters of the Qur'an from amongst the Ansar, who had a beautiful voice, and his recitation was so clear, Ubay ibn Ka'b radiallahu anhu. So much so, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to love to listen to the recitation of Ubay ibn Ka'b radiallahu anhu. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us even a portion of that clarity and that type of recitation, and may Allah accept it from us. Then Mus'ab ibn Umayr radiallahu anhu, mashaAllah, Mus'ab ibn Umayr, the one from Makkatul Mukarrama whose family was quite wealthy, and yet he was expelled from them, he was paired up with Khalid ibn Zayd al-Ansari radiallahu anhu. And as for Ammar ibn Yasir, who was the slave, whose family had been martyred in Mecca, he was paired up with Hudayfah ibn al-Yaman. Hudayfah ibn al-Yaman radiallahu anhu was that companion who narrated most of the prophecies of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He was gifted by Allah that he, he bore in mind the prophecies of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. To this day, we look at the prophecies one by one coming true. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us a deep understanding. Most of these narrations of Al-Fitan, they were narrated by Hudayfah ibn al-Yaman radiallahu and then you have Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu anhu who was also considered a muhajir. He had made the hijrah. He was paired up with Al-Mundhir ibn Amr. And as for Abdurrahman ibn Awf, he was with Sa'ad ibn al-Rabi' radiallahu anhuma. And then I want to end with one beautiful story and making mention of two of these companions who were wonderful people. Salman al-Farisi radiallahu anhu, the man we spoke about from Persia, who was enslaved and so on, he was paired up with a person from, uh, he was paired up with Abu Darda radiallahu anhu. And what happened is, Salman al-Farisi had had a lot of knowledge. And his knowledge, they used to call him a person who has gathered between Christianity and Islam. Which means he had both books. He had read the scriptures of the uh, Christians and he followed Christianity quite rigidly. And thereafter, he was a Muslim. He had accepted Islam. So Salman al-Farisi, radiallahu anhu, he was with Abu Darda, radiallahu anhu. And he noticed 
that Abu Darda was very, very pious. So pious that sometimes he would forget some of his other rights that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had ordained. So when he came home, he noticed the wife of Abu Darda. She would never ever dress in a way that would be of attraction to her own husband. Now this, there was a relation between them, so this is why there was speech between them. Otherwise, there would be no speech between them. But there was a solid relation. And obviously the speech was with respect, utmost respect. And at that time, still, the laws of hijab were not as strict as later on. So what had happened is, Salman al-Farisi asked her, what is wrong? What is wrong? It seems like there is, you know, your dress code is quite tatty and so on. She says, well, your brother Abu Darda, he doesn't even really look in our direction. He doesn't have any need in this dunya. Which means, what rights of his wife does he ever fill? He doesn't even look in that direction. Let's pause for a moment. How many of us are guilty of that? Wallahi, it's a fact. We have our wives and we don't give them importance. And sometimes we don't look at them with an eye of appreciation. And sometimes we don't utter words of love and words of appreciation that can make them feel all the reason to be people who, who take pride in their dress code because of their husbands. Sadly, today, we have turned everything upside down. So you find a woman dresses when she leaves the house rather than for her husband in the home. Why? Because the world appreciates her. But we don't back at home. This is also the problem. So this is why it's important for us to know in Islam, it's supposed to be the other way around. Appreciation should be within the home such that subhanallah, the dress code is the most magnificent, most attractive dress within the house. And when we leave the home, we are covered. Alhamdulillah. We don't want others to see our wives in the same way that we wouldn't like to sit and start glaring at someone else's wife. Subhanallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us not to look at that which we don't even own, doesn't belong to us. And subhanallah, by looking at others, we do not appreciate what we have. That's one of the secrets, or should I say, one of the benefits of dressing appropriately is that if we were all to dress appropriately, like the women folk, for example, all of them were to dress appropriately, what would the men have to compare their wives with? Nothing at all. Today there is nakedness. So no matter how pretty your wife is, you will always bump into someone even prettier. Then you don't appreciate what you have at home. But you're not going to get that anyway. So what happens? You are caught in the middle. You die a sad man. Allahu Akbar. Because neither did you make use of what you have, nor did you ever get what you wished for. Allahu Akbar. We'd rather be people who appreciate what we have and be honest. So Salman al-Farisi, powerful words, he decided, let me correct Abu Darda. Because one of the points of agreement was that we need to advise one another, we teach one another. The people who have come, the muhajireen, they have knowledge, they will be teaching the Ansar. Look at how powerful it was. So the Ansar helped them in terms of dunya. And the muhajirin helped the ansar in terms of the akhirah in the sense that they had more Qur'an, they had more knowledge, they would all teach and there was a teacher in the home automatically. Subhanallah. So Salman al-Farisi, when Abu Darda came back, the food was prepared and he told Abu Darda, let's sit down to eat. Abu Darda says, I am fasting. So Salman al-Farisi says, well, I'm not going to eat until you eat. So you'd better break it. Subhanallah. And Abu Darda looks at him and then he broke his fast and he began to eat. He began to eat. So obviously there must have been something in his heart, in the heart of Abu Darda to say, well, I'm in a fix here. I'm going to see what the messenger says about this later on. But when the evening came, he had not yet seen the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and he was standing in salah. He wanted to stand in the voluntary prayer, extra prayer. So as he is standing, Salman al-Farisi comes up to him and says, go to bed. And made sure that he went to bed. Nam. And after some time, he noticed that this man got up again. Abu Darda got up again and he wanted to start his salah again. So Salman al-Farisi says, go to bed. Again. The second time. And thereafter, when a third of the night was remaining, he got Abu Darda up and he says, you can now fulfill your salah. You can now pray. Then he says, oh Abu Darda, let me teach you something. You have a duty unto your Rabb. You have a duty unto yourself. You have a duty 
unto your family and so on so fulfill the right of everyone don't overdo one at the price or at the expense of the other so this Abu Darda radiallahu anhu heard it he understood it but in the morning he went to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and told him hey this is what happened firstly the fast I had to eat secondly the man tells me to sleep and not to pray and thirdly he comes to give me some speech and he told me that you have a right or Allah has a right over you and so does your own body have a right over you and so does your family have a right over you so fulfill the rights of everyone what is the meaning of this your body has a right you need to rest you need to sleep you need to eat you need to make sure that you look after this body which is an amana which is a trust from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if you were not to eat not to rest you get sick when you are sick and ill how are you going to pray so you'd rather be a balanced person the same applies to your rabb you can pray mashallah but not at the expense of your own health because then tomorrow you won't be able to pray what's the point of doing everything today it's like us sometimes we feel pious so we sit with the quran for 2 hours and then for 2 months we didn't even see one page it happens we sit in the month of ramadan and mashallah we make ibadah such that people then think that you know what for the whole month now i don't have to make ibadah or for the whole year sorry i now don't have to pray you know on a lighter note something comes to my mind there was once a lady who had come visiting and there was a wedding that she was going to be participating in so she was making wudu one wudu two wudu three wudu four wudu five wudu and so she was asked what are you doing she says no three four days i'm not going to get chance to make wudu so i rather make 10 15 now and then when one breaks what will happen is i'll still have another few allahu akbar it doesn't work that way You make wudu when the time comes. You can't read all your salah today and say right now for the month I'm not going to be able to read so I rather just read everything. So this is what Abu Darda was being told in a much more beautiful way to say that this is the right. Your spouse, your family has a right. If you don't smile at your wife, what do you want the neighbor to come and quickly smile at her? Allah protect us. If you do not talk to her with good words, who do you want to talk to her with good words and i better also say the other side of it because people nowadays also suffer the other way the women need to know that if they are not going to be the sweetest to their own husbands then there will be others out there who may be sweet to them may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from shaitan really so when you fulfill the rights of one another properly you resolve your matters without even realizing today we want to overpunish even when we punish our own children sometimes or admonish them sometimes we overdo it the same applies to our spouses if they've done something wrong we get so excited that we've made a mountain out of a little molehill let me quickly inform you subhanallah when we get married if the spouse makes one mistake does that mean the marriage must end No the previous generations used to help each other through difficulty with us today one difficulty the person wants out no i'm going why because there's one problem how foolish is that if we had to break marriages because of a problem or a difficulty everyone's marriages would be broken because everyone has gone through some difficulty or some problem so foolish are those who want to break their marriages because of one two little issues may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us realize that a spouse is all about support and marriage is all about sacrifice may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala open our doors make us the best of people remember don't be from amongst those who loses the family life and at the same time they are vying for something which they will never ever get because they're just looking and wishing allahu akbar may allah protect us we need to lower our gaze and work on our conditions and our family members and we will achieve the pleasure of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam tells abu darda two words sadaqa salman over salman has spoken the truth that's it imagine after the whole story was put in front of muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam he just said salman has spoken the truth now the reason i raise this is to show you that even amongst ourselves we need to help each other where people are going wrong 
and at the same time don't feel bad when someone corrects you when someone rectifies my brother do you know what I noticed this and that may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us goodness and these were the, the, the type of people the muhajireen and ansar were they developed and subhanallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted them a lot and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened their doors in the dunya as well as in the akhirah so the issue of inheritance where they used to inherit from one another that came to an end when the verses were revealed where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says when that verse was revealed meaning that your family members and those who are related to you are closer to you in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than those who made the hijrah, when that verse was revealed, referring to inheritance, then the inheritance between the muhajireen and ansar had stopped at that particular point. So this was as far as the brotherhood and the relation had gone. It worked so well. The sahaba, radiallahu anhum, who had come from Makkah to Mukarramah, many of them were business people. And the ansar, they knew much about their farming and so on. So these business people, Instead of taking handouts, a lot of them said, show us where the marketplace is. They went to the marketplace, they came back at the end of the day with much more than had, ex had been expected, subhanallah. So they did not depend on handouts. Now we take a look at the charter of Medina Munawwara. The Prophet ﷺ being made a leader. He was now the supreme leader, spiritually, as well as on the ground, he had political leadership in Medina Munawwara. Subhanallah. They looked up to him. He was the decider. There was one problem. What was it? Before the agreement with Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, there was a huge war where a lot of the leaders had died. We made mention of it twice so far. And as a result, they were about to appoint a new leader. Abu Amir al-Rahib or Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. These were the two whom the choice had come down to. Salul was a man from Khazraj. And Abu Amir al-Rahib was a man from Al-Aws. And after much deliberation, they decided we are going to appoint. We are going to appoint Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul as our leader. But before they actually appointed him, they struck a deal with Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to come to Medina. The hijrah took place and Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was the leader. So Ubay ibn Salul always hated Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, he was from Khazraj. He hated Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam because he was supposed to be a leader, almost a king virtually. And he was the one who was going to be the, the man. So because of that, he did not like Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And those people whom he was going to appoint in positions of power, they also did not like Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. At this stage, he was not yet from amongst those who had said the shahada. He was still a pure mushrik. Later on, he saw that it's going to be tough. I'm going to lose as it is, I'm not going to be the leader. And now if I remain as a mushrik, I'm going to be a person who's going to lose a lot. So the best bet is for me to pretend like I'm a Muslim. I can just say that I bear witness. I will mix with them, I will be with them, and wherever I can, I will try and look at my own benefit. Remember, when we look at personal benefit, we lose collect the collective benefit. Take a look at any nation. If you find corrupt leaders, you will find the nation is suffering. But if you find people who are bothered about the collective benefit, then everyone will be benefiting, mashallah. So the same applies here. This man was bothered about his own personal uh, benefit and gain, and he was not really bothered about the others. This was Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. Now, the Prophet ﷺ had to strike two agreements. One was amongst the believers. We need to strike an agreement. We need to write something down. He was a leader. And when we write something down, everybody must pledge allegiance upon that. And secondly, we need to sign a treaty with those who are not Muslims around us. They are Jewish people and they are the others. We need to strike a treaty with them. We cannot be seen to be at war with anyone and everyone around here and there would be no reason for us to be at war with them. So, the first thing he did, he struck this treaty, the charter of Medina, Wathiqatul Madinatul Munawwara. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us lesson from it. I am going to mention a few points 
from the agreement that was struck amongst the believers. Remember, we are building a nation here. So this is a charter. There were so many points, we don't have the time to go through every single one of them, but some of them. And as I said, we're building a nation. So, one of the first points, the mu'mineen, they are one nation. And all those who are here in Medina Munawwara will be part of the nation. So the mu'min, they are one nation. Those who are in Medina Munawwara are part of the nation and they are preferred over those from outside. So this would mean a lot. It has a deep meaning because we come first. If I am to help, we help one another. Anyone from outside, we help him after we've helped you. And thereafter, if there is an attack from outside, we would obviously all be protecting one another. All this came into some of the finer clauses. You look at the next clause which said that the blood money and the ransom that would have to be paid by every group would be paid by the group. And if there was a poor person, then we would all come in to help that particular poor person in order to pay whatever they owe. And here when we talk of blood money, this was something at the time where if someone had killed someone by mistake, by error, if a person was killed by error, they had to play, pay some blood money. That blood money would be paid by the family or the clan or the tribe of the person who was guilty of what is known today, I would like to think, as culpable homicide, where you didn't kill someone intentionally, but it resulted in murder. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us goodness. It is called qatlul khata, person who kills someone else by mistake. Nowadays, one of the quickest uh, examples that come to my mind is if you're driving a vehicle and you make an accident and the passengers die, in actual fact the driver is guilty of something, of a crime, and it's, a, it's lesser than murder, but it is actually a crime. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us goodness and may He protect us all. Then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam makes mention of another point. All the believers will be against anyone who has oppressed, anyone who transgresses, and anyone who engages in any form of corruption, even if he is a relative. So if you have a relative and he has committed a crime, you don't protect him. You need to hand him over. Subhanallah. This they all agreed upon. And then also, the mu'mineen, their blood is all equal the most humble, all the poorest from amongst them, the richest from amongst them, there are no lines. The blood is equal. And anyone who is to engage in any form of a crime, they should be handed over. And on top of that, nobody should help anyone else to fight a believer. And nobody should help even the disbelievers to fight the believers who came through. This was an agreement. And thereafter, there was... Another part of the agreement which said, the Jewish people around us should not be harmed and we should never assist an enemy who comes to attack them. Look at this. The Jewish people around us, because they are part of the nation. So when you are a leader of the nation, you have to look at the others who are not perhaps on your faith and you have to also ensure that they are protected. And so the agreement of Medina amongst the believers was that the Jewish people would not be harmed and anyone who was coming to harm the Jewish people should not be assisted in any way and in fact later on even uh, there is a point that makes mention of the fact that they should be chased away they should be fought who should be fought those who come and attack this nation and those who come and attack even if they were to come to attack from, uh, meaning the Jewish people who were in Medina Munawwara, the Mu'mineen would gather together and they would repel that attack that was coming from outside. This is made mention in this Watiqatul Madinatul Munawwara. And then a very important point. Nobody should have their private peace with Quraysh. Nobody is allowed to make peace with anyone the Mu'mins were at war with. And this would mean that some people cannot come up and say, look, I've got my private agreement with these people, so I'm sorry, I need to, you know, uh, fulfill the rights of these people, or I need to do this and that. No. If it is an agreement, it's an agreement of everyone. And we are all one. So nobody can come and say, no, sorry, excuse me. See, this is a crisis we face today, where you have an oppressor in community, 
And you find some people say, no, but you know, I have to do this because he's a big businessman and I can't, uh, you know, disassociate from him and so on. So what we do, we make him more powerful. He becomes more powerful. If everyone was one and we all said, you are wrong, no matter how wealthy he was, he would come with his tail between his legs and he would humble himself. But the problem is, we are not that united as these people at the beginning were. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us and grant us goodness. Then... The, the next point that is made mention of is this agreement will not be broken. All those who believe will make sure that they uphold the agreement. And subhanallah, if there is any dispute, it should go straight to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So these are just some of the points that I've decided to make mention of because this is nation building. Up to today, these points are valid if we would like to build a nation. And if we would like to build a community, we need to have the camaraderie. And at the same time, we need to protect one another. And we need to have rules that sometimes may go against our personal preference for the preference of the entire lot. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us goodness. Then came the agreement with the Jewish people. And this was a powerful treaty. It was known as the treaty with the Jews. One of the first points was that the Jewish people of this Banu Auf, who were the Jews around Medina Munawwara, they will be considered as one nation with the believers. Subhanallah. Next point. They will follow their faith and the mu'mineen will follow their faith. None will cross the lines of the other. Subhanallah. Look at this agreement. Because it was so powerful in that even the timing of it was perfect. If there was a slight delay, by that time people might have come in and the mushriks of Quraysh, they tried to temper later on. It was too late. There was an agreement in place already. So Nabi ﷺ was very intelligent. First things first, let's sign a treaty with everyone, let's make peace here, and we need to be at peace with everyone. Then the next point was that the mu'mineen, the, the believers will be responsible for all their living and their costs and so on, and the Jewish people will be responsible for theirs. When it comes to war, the Jewish people will pay a part of the expense of the war on condition that they are fighting alongside with the believers. So if they are fighting alongside with the believers, they must also take some of the burden of the costs of the war. And thereafter, we will fulfill this covenant with mutual respect. Mutually, this will be fulfilled and we will be righteous with one another. The next point was that none of us should engage in any behavior that will undermine the other. So the Jews were not to engage in behavior that would undermine the Muslims, and the Muslims were not to engage in behavior that would undermine the Jews. This was a powerful point, and they were very happy about it. Then anyone who is oppressed from either side, we will all get up and help him. Whoever is oppressed, we will get up and help him. And then... The point that Yathrib, meaning Medina Munawwara, it is prohibited to fight within Medina Munawwara. Completely prohibited. So, within the surroundings of this place known as Medina Munawwara, it became what is known as Haram. Haram meaning no fighting in it. Everyone will be at peace in it. Just like Makkah was made Haram by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the time of Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam. So Medina Munawwara was made haram. Everything in Medina was to be at peace. No war happening there. Nobody should be killing each other. Nothing should happen there which would undermine the peace and security of the people of Medina Munawwara. So much so that later on the Prophet ﷺ extended it to even the creatures of Medina Munawwara and the plants. Where you are not allowed to destructively uh, take, remove plants and so on, and trees from Medina Munawwara. And even the little insects and other items that you see within the boundaries of the haram, we are not allowed to just kill them haphazardly. Obviously, there are certain uh, insects that we were permitted to kill, and certain reptiles and so on. But besides that, we were not permitted to even kill uh, the little insects, subhanallah. Everything supposed to be at peace in Medina Munawwara. And then. If there is any dispute, it will go to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Another important point is, we will all boycott Quraysh. So like they boycotted us aforetime, we will all boycott them. No dealing. The Jews will not deal with Quraysh or anyone who, who is connected to them. And the mu'mineen will not deal with Quraysh or anyone who 
deals with them. And the next point was, we will all get up to defend this nation of Medina Munawwara. So whenever there is an attack from outside, we are one. We get together and we fight them together. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us understanding. See, this nation building is a very important point. It requires a lot of wisdom and it requires a lot of tolerance. And yes, when the treaties were broken later on, something else happened. But this was the initial treaty. And if nobody had broken the treaty, they would never have had a problem. The problem was when people began to break the treaty. And this is when uh, the, the whole situation took a new twist. Then we have uh, another very important point, and that was that this treaty will not hinder the lawful revenge against an oppressor. So if there is an oppressor, you can't say, no, 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 he's from amongst us, you can't fight him. No, if he's an oppressor, then this treaty excludes that particular person because as you heard earlier, they would all get up to assist the oppressor. So now came this nation and the nation was being built and subhanallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted them great strength. If you look at Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, just to mention a little bit of what he gave a lot of importance to. Firstly, education, knowledge, to learn and to learn to read and write as well was given a lot of importance by Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam at that time. So much so that after one of the wars, he freed people who taught the mu'mineen how to read and write. We will get to that inshallah. Also, the cleansing of the soul and the bad qualities of the heart was given great importance by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Good character and conduct, love, brotherhood, honor, dignity, Worship and obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inshallah, tomorrow we will take a look at some of the narrations where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam encouraged this newly formed nation regarding character and conduct and what would actually build this nation and then what happened with Quraysh where they did not bear any patience, they wanted to come and they really wanted to attack the Muslimin and what happened as a result and the wars that took place. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us goodness and protection and may He make us from those who appreciates what had happened, the sacrifice of those in order for it to get to us today. Until we meet again, sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabina Muhammad, subhanallahi bihamdi, subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayki.